as the remembrance was held on that day, it was the first time that there has not been a living survivor of uh, the, the sinking of the USS Arizona present. There are only five left now. Both gentlemen, or all five gentlemen, are in their mid-90s at this time. And it was the first time not one of them was able to be present uh, at the uh, ceremony. It was a sad day, uh, December 7, 1941, in U.S. history. It was also a sad day in human history. And, and what makes it even sadder is that 20 years prior to Pearl Harbor, uh, the war supposedly that was to end all wars was fought in World War I. And uh, we know that uh, that title was false. And in fact, we have to wonder if there's ever such a thing as a war to end all wars. Well, that may be surprising to some. That would not be surprising to the Apostle Paul. As we have been looking at this series, Right with God, in the book of Romans, Paul presents for us a very pessimistic, uh, pessimistic view of mankind, and that and that continues today in our text. And what I think that this uh, passage of Scripture teaches us today is that we should realize that everyone fully deserves God's wrath, and by everyone that includes you also. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to think about mankind in some sort of a generic sense and say, yes, all everyone is a sinner, but we really need to think of it on a personal level. As we look in the mirror and we say, every one of us, yourself included, fully deserves the wrath of a holy God. With that being said, would you stand with me in reference for the reading of the Holy Word of God, Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have charged already that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for uh, the privilege and the joy of corporate worship. And Father, now as part of our worship, we turn to the Scriptures, God. And we do so in worship. We do so in reverence, knowing that, God, you have spoken. And these words that have been recorded, Lord, are your words, divinely inspired, given to us for our instruction and so, Lord, today we pray you would open our minds to help understand what's been written and open our hearts, God, to, to receive this truth as we see from the pen of the Apostle Paul that all have sinned and all are deserving of your wrath. But, Lord, we thank you that we know how Scripture unfolds, that Jesus Christ is the one who bore your wrath for our sins. 
And so we come today, God, disclaiming faith in Christ and trusting in the, the sacrifice of Jesus and praying if there be anyone here that's never trusted in Jesus, today would be the day of salvation. As your spirit moves through the power and the preaching of your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. What we've come to today in this text really is the conclusion of an argument that the Apostle Paul began all the way back in chapter 1, verse 18. And there we read that Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And starting from that verse all the way through the end of our text today, the Apostle Paul has been laying out an indictment against all mankind. He began speaking in chapter 1 about those who were Gentiles by heritage, by ethnicity, those who were outside of uh, the covenant family of Abraham. And he showed in, verse one, or in chapter 1 how all of the Gentiles were guilty of suppressing the truth and the knowledge of God. And then starting in chapter 2 all the way through our text today, he also indicts not only the Gentiles but the Jews as well. That even though God had given them the law, they had not perfectly obeyed the law. And therefore Jews also stood guilty before God. If all humanity is guilty of sin, therefore all humanity needs the gospel. He's leading to that point, but before he shows the good news, remember he shows how bad the bad news truly is. And the bad news is we all are deserving of God's wrath because of our sin. And in that, first of all, verse 9, we see it is a universal condition. A universal condition. This thing that we call the sin nature. Uh, sometimes Paul refers to this as the flesh. It means that all of us, because of Adam's rebellion back in the Garden of Eden, all of us as human beings are infected by this thing called sin, this desire called sin that leads us away from God. Because of this sin nature being universal, we are all equaled by sin. Equaled, every one of us. Paul begins in verse 9 and says, What then are we better than they? And so the first interpretive question is, who is the we that Paul is referring to? And, and different theologians debate that, but I believe what Paul is saying here is, are we better than they? In the context, he has just been talking about how the Jews have received the blessings of being God's covenant people. We read about that in, in verse 1, verse 2. Namely, they have been entrusted with the oracles of, of God. And Paul here identifies himself as a Jew and says, Are we better than they? Because God's blessed us with his covenant promises, because God has given us his law, are we better than those who are not Jews? We have a privilege of receiving God's law, Paul said back in verse 2. We have been entrusted with the oracles of God, but. The problem is the Jews did not perfectly keep God's law. And so Paul says, are we better than they? Not at all. Not at all. Why? Because he says we have already charged. Back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the first part of chapter 3, we have already laid out the charge that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. We are equaled by sin. 
Not only that, we are also enslaved to sin. Paul goes on to say in verse 9, he says, We've already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. The word there has the idea of dominion or authority or control. That not only do we all possess this sin nature, this sin nature dominates us. This desire to serve self, to please self, to, to, to do what the flesh wants you to do, we are all under that. We are all entrapped and enslaved to this, in, to this evil, wicked, sinful desire. We all have that. And Paul is going to show us here we don't have to look very far to see the evidence of that very thing. We are all under sin. Mentioned Oscar's health scare last night and they came in to do the CT scan and they told him we're going to, we're going to scan your head, we're going to scan your brain and, and he chuckled for a second and then he said, it's probably hollow. <laughs> As you can imagine Oscar doing that. They, they, they did the CT scan, they did the uh, heart test, the EKG, everything came back clear. We praise God for that. But if we were able to hook every single one of us up to a test that would detect our hearts spiritually, every single one of us would fail that. None of us would have a clear spiritual EKG because we are all under sin. We are all in bondage and enslaved to sin. And that's the universal condition. That's everyone. We're all born into it. You don't have to teach an infant. You don't have to teach a toddler to sin. We are born with this selfish nature and is contrary to God. It is a universal condition. Jew and Gentile, we are all under sin. Then Paul speaks about in verses 10 through 18, the undeniable corruption. Sin obviously pervades every aspect of our human nature. Theologians refer to this as total depravity. We are totally depraved. That does not mean that we are all 100% wicked all the time and we are incapable of doing anything good. That is not what that phrase means. Because we are all created in the image of God, we all have the capacity sometimes to do the right thing, sometimes to make the righteous decision but we have no 100% guarantee of always doing right. Total depravity means every aspect of our being is tainted with this evil sin nature. Our, our mental aspect, our physical aspect, social, you name it. Every way that makes us human, it is all tainted with sin, this corruption. And Paul says it's undeniable. We see it everywhere. And notice in verse 10, he says, As it is written, remember he is writing here with reference to Jews who have the word of God. They have received the oracles of God, verse 2. He says, as, we, as, it, as it is written, Paul says, don't take my word for it. I've laid out my charge. Let's see what the oracles of God have to say. You've been entrusted with the word of God, the, what we know as the Old Testament. He says, what does it have to say? about our human condition. And Paul here lays out the charge there from Scripture. And it's not only Paul. We read about it Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Every intent of man's thoughts of his heart were only evil 
continually. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And Jesus himself said in John 3.19 that men love darkness instead of the light. We all have a sin nature. And here Paul strings together quotes from the Old Testament, from the Word of God. And he does this in, in a logical progression to show us the indictment, how everyone, Jew and Gentile included, have undeniable corruption. First of all, he says that we have a sinful character. Verses 10 and 11, a sinful character. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous. In other words, there is none who stands innocent in the eyes of a holy God. There is none that God would declare right in His sight. Judiciously, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks for God. And notice the emphasis here. The, the, the denial of all of this. There is none righteous, not even one, none who understands, none who seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Paul is, is making an emphatic case here against everyone that there is none righteous. We all have a sinful character as we stand before God. There is none that God would declare right. We've talked about this some on Wednesday nights. The human tendency is never to drift towards God, to just in, in neutral and just drift towards holiness and just casually just live righteously. No, the inclination of sin is to drift away from God and not towards righteousness, not towards holiness, but towards sin and evil, wickedness. That is the human nature. That's the sinful character that we all have, which then leads to, verse 12, sinful conduct. He says, All have turned aside together, as a mass of humanity, every single one of us, together, they have become useless. And the word there in Greek is sometimes used for spoiled milk. You know, can you do anything with spoiled milk, with rotten milk? It's, it's turned, it's, it's useless. That is human nature. There is none who does good, not even one. None whose actions could ever be declared good by God. Now, we might look at somebody and say, you know, that's a good person. You know, he's a good man. She's a good woman. From our standard, from our point of view, from our judging, we might say they are good. The problem is we are not the standard. We are not the final judge. God is the one. God is the standard. And, and based on his standard of measurement, Paul says no one's actions, no one's conduct, there is none who does good in the eyes of a holy God. None of our conduct because of our character. And that's where it all starts. We have this corrupt character that then leads to corrupt conduct. But also, verses 13 and 14, sinful communication. Our speech is also tainted with sin. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. And the image there is of the grave being the human heart. And the heart is, is dead in sin. And out of the heart, Jesus said, it's not what comes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out, because what comes out is from the heart's. 
We are corrupt on the inside, which then works its way out in our speech. And the throat, he says, is an open grave. That there is death in the hearts, and it works itself out through the mouth. And he says, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. It's constant. It's not just, well, they deceived one time, but now they're over it. They got it out of their system. They're all good. They keep deceiving. The word deceiving there can also be used of flattery. So not only is, is speech bad when you say bad things, but sometimes the speech may come out as appearance of being good, but really the motive behind it is wrong. You might say nice things in order to manipulate somebody to do what you want them to do. That's flattery. That's deceitful speech. That's dishonesty. And Paul says it comes from sin in the heart. The open grave, their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, of a poisonous snake is under their lips. It's like someone having a pet rattlesnake and thinking it won't somehow come back to bite them literally Paul says we have this thing our tongue is that same way we have poison in our tongues under our lips and he says in verse 14 whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness not just a little bit just a tiny bit of cursing a little bit of bitterness here but full of it cursing and bitterness this is literally speech against someone that you are, are cursing someone with your mouth, with your speech. You are, you are slandering someone. You are murdering someone's reputation with your words. And we see that all the time. And it's not only verbally, it can also be in print form. And in today's age of social media, you see that. Someone using the keyboard to assassinate someone's character is just the same thing as Paul is saying here. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness towards their fellow man. They want to use their words to wound and kill another. The poison of ass under their tongues whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Sinful communication, but also sinful cruelty. Verses 15 through 17. The actions that we have towards one another. We mentioned Pearl Harbor, and we mentioned World War I, and we can go all the way back throughout the, the years, all the way through human history, and we see sinful cruelty. This is obvious. This is not one of those things that I have to try to convince you of with my preaching. We just look around. You see the evidence of, of the, the cruelty of the human race everywhere you look. Paul says their feet are swift to shed blood. They just can't wait to shed blood. They're, they're, they're rapid. Destruction and misery are in their paths. This is not just some metaphorical sense of the words. Literally, destruction and misery are in their paths. The way that people treat one another the way that people wound and the way that people kill, the way that people abuse and hurt others. Destruction and misery and the paths of peace, the paths of, of, of cooperation, of getting along, of living in harmony, the paths of peace, they have not known. Not only have they not even walked it, they don't even know it. That's, that's mankind, folks. That's humanity. And sometimes people try to have an optimistic view that somehow technology 
is going to fix things. That somehow, you know, education, if we could somehow just, just stamp out this issue or that issue, or we can raise this kind of awareness that we will somehow elevate mankind to a higher plane, it is impossible. Mankind is wicked and corrupt to the core, always has been. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden to this day, man is sin sick. And then Paul kind of wraps it all back up together, verse 18, with sinful contempt. Contempt against who? Against God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If there was any fear of God in someone's eyes, we would not see the way that people talk about others. We would not see this cruelty in the way that people treat one another. You would not see this kind of behavior, this kind of conduct, if there was any fear of God in someone's eyes, but there's not. We sometimes say, how in the world could someone do something so evil? Paul would say there's no fear of God. If they feared their Creator at all, they would not act in such a way. They would not do such a thing. They would not speak in such a way if they feared God at all. Paul says, no, there is sinful contempt. You know, it's every culture on the face of the planet Earth Every culture, every religion, every time period in human history, you see this. There's no fear of God. And Paul even would point back to chapter 1, verse 21. And he says, even though they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Again, in verse 25 of chapter 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen sinful contempt no fear of God when there's no reverence for God the attitudes the actions the words the conduct will all flow from that lack of fear from God Anybody signing up to eat some romaine lettuce anytime in the near future? You know, raise your hands. No, why is that? Because it's like contaminated, right? You know, it came out in the news that, that romaine lettuce was bad, which really didn't bother me any. I'd much rather eat iceberg lettuce, but romaine lettuce. But the ironic thing is romaine lettuce is supposed to be healthy. It's supposed to be better for you than even iceberg lettuce. You know, I'm not a big lettuce person. You know, I went to the buffet last night, and you know, you could eat the salad bar, and then you could eat your meal. I'm like, okay, you get either one plate of salad and, and two plates of fish. I'll just eat three plates of fish and skip the salad. You know, get your money's worth. But the ironic thing is that romaine lettuce was supposed to be good, but it's contaminated, and now it's bad. Folks, that's human. It's human nature. It's the human race. When God created everything, He said, it is good, it is good. Day six, He created mankind. He said, it is very good. Man was created righteous. But man chose to rebel against God. Listen to the words of the enemy, the deceitful words of the liar. Turn his back on God. And here we are today. Nothing but a bunch of romaine lettuce, good for nothing. 
but that's us contaminated and we read this and we're like wow this is just bad news this is awful and Paul even takes it a step further verses 19 and 20 we see the understandable condemnation the end result of sin and here's the indictment that God levels against us we all stand condemned talks about the law in verse 19 remember the Jews were standing upon the law and he says the audience of the law in verse 19 he says whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law it's okay you claim that we have the oracles of God and the promises of God and we have the law. Paul says, okay, if you claim to be under the law, you better keep it all. You better be 100% righteous. Because if you've broken any of God's law, you, are, you have broken and violated the commands of God and you are guilty. The audience of law, it's given to those who have received the law. And Paul says good luck trying to stand on the law for your salvation chapter 2 verse 21 you therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself verse 25 if, if indeed circumcision is, is of value if you practice the law but if you are a transgressor of the law your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Paul says if you want to claim the law and you want to stake your eternal destiny on keeping God's commands, you had better be 100% righteous. Bad news, you can't. That's not the purpose. Paul says we have uh, not on the audience of the law, we've received it of God, therefore we are then accountable. We see the accountability to the Lord, verse 19. If he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that, here's the result of having God's law, every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. He says, not only those sinful Gentiles that are out there sinning, he says, so too you Jews, you have the law, and you are accountable to it, and you don't even keep it. Because no one can. There is none righteous. No, not one. And Paul is quoting the very Old Testament that some are claiming that will save them just by having it and trying to keep it. Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. And he says in verse 19, that every mouth in all the world, every single one of us may become accountable to God, and that is not good news. The agenda of the law, verse 20. He says, because, the reason why we are accountable to God, even those who have God's word, because by the works of the law, by trying to keep God's moral code, by trying to live up to God's good standard on your own efforts, though by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight. What that means, nobody can be good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't earn God's favor. You can't say, I'm better than so-and-so, or I'm better than I was even this time last year. That don't count. No flesh will be justified by the works of the law in his sight. Why? For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law was never given to save anyone. It can't. The law has been given by God to show us, to reveal to us that we fall short. 
God gave His law to show here is, here is his, his standard. This is what God expects. And the law clearly communicates that. But then the sinful human heart comes into contact with the law and the law says don't do this and the sinful inclination is what? To do it. And the law says do this and the sinful human heart, the inclination is I ain't going to do that. God says do this. If it's not what I want to do, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's the human heart. That's the human condition. The agenda of the law is never to save. Now, if somebody were to perfectly obey the law of God, they would be declared righteous in His sight. And only one person ever walking the face of the earth has ever done that, and it is God incarnate. It is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh, and He dwelt among us, not descended from Adam, Therefore, not inheriting Adam's corrupt sin nature that leads all of us astray. Jesus is the only one. That's why when he went to the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice because he was fully righteous and innocent. And he gives us his righteousness by faith while taking our sin, not only the sins we've committed, but our corruption also, taking it all upon himself. The agenda of the law is never to solve the problem but to reveal the problem and then to drive us to the cross. Therefore, you must realize that everyone fully deserves God's wrath. And that includes yourself. Every single one of us. And you know, I didn't really think about it till I started working on this, but this is a perfect Christmas sermon. And we're like, wait a minute, you know, Christmas is about celebration. It's about joy to the world, right? It's about Jesus being born, and, and, and it's about the glory of God revealed to us. And yes, those things are all good. But stop and ask yourself, why? Why did Jesus come? Why was he born in the flesh? Why did he live among us? He did because he came to die for us. That the, the cradle ultimately led to the cross. And that's bad news. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus came, but we don't understand the good news of Christmas until we understand the bad news. Why he came in the first place. Because it was the only way. And even as Mary celebrated the birth of her son, she was told in Luke chapter 2 that even a sword would pierce her very soul because Christ came to die. Jesus came to give his life on the cross. So as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate not only the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we also celebrate the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. Not only the sins of humanity and the sins of the world, but bring it down to a personal level. When Jesus died, he died for your sin. He died for your unrighteousness. He died to pay your penalty. He died in your place. Bearing the wrath of God that you rightfully deserved. He took it upon himself so that you would be declared not guilty and you would be forgiven and then he gives you his righteousness the fulfillment of the law that you could never keep. We could sum it up like this. Sin's sickness has a single solution. 
and it's not just well I'll try better I'll, 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 just, I'll just try harder I'll do better it's never going to cut it no flesh will be justified in the sight of God it is only through the cross the bad news that we have just wrapped up in these three chapters then unfolds before us in our next text we see the good news the cross of Christ is the only solution to your sin sickness let's pray our Father in heaven we do thank you today that there is good news but in order to appreciate the good news we have to see the bad news in order to understand and appreciate the salvation we, we have to understand that we need to be saved and it's easy for us to point the finger at the sin of others but it's another thing to humble ourselves and cry out to you and say God I am a sinner and I need to be saved and the only way is through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus he is the only one who ever paid our sin debt he is the only one who ever lived up to God's standards he is the only one who ever died and rose never to taste the death again the only triumphant king the only hope for humanity as we look at the, the rotten state and the rotten nature of men and women and boys and girls we have to wonder is there any hope what is the purpose of all of this and the only hope and the only purpose is by coming to God through Christ oh Lord God we pray today that you would send your spirit to move in a powerful way Open the eyes of the blind. Bring life to a dead spiritual heart today. God, you're the only one that can do that. Through the power of your word, we pray for life today. Pray for light. We pray for hope. Lord, that's the message of Christmas. It's the message of Easter. It's the message of God. Father, I pray today you would touch all of our hearts. Show us, all of us, how we need you, God. And show us how much you love us and draw us closer to you as we stand upon nothing else but the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we do pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we have our hymn of decision? If God is leading you to respond, would you come? I'd love to pray with you, speak with you if you want to come.